Franklin Delano Roosevelt is generally considered one of the most popular presidents in U.S. history. He is widely remembered as an impactful leader who guided the nation through the New Deal and World War II. However, not everybody shares this perception of him. Roosevelt has been heavily criticized for many reasons since his death in 1945. One major reason is his apparent thirst for executive power. Roosevelt broke the two-term precedent set by George Washington by running for a third and fourth term as president. He also attempted to pack the Supreme Court, which would have greatly expanded his own power over the judiciary. His economic policies during the New Deal have been criticized as overreaching by many, and he is widely believed to have turned the U.S. into a welfare state. He has also been condemned as a racist since he strongly opposed anti-lynching legislation and appointed prominent Ku Klux Klan member Hugo Black to the Supreme Court. In addition, he is often held responsible for the deaths of thousands of civilians during the bombing of Dresden in 1945, but perhaps the most glaring fault of FDR's was Executive Order 9066. This executive order forcibly removed over 120,000 American citizens from their homes and interned them in concentration camps simply because they had Japanese ancestry. There is yet another major reason for criticism of Roosevelt, and it involves his relation to the Holocaust during World War II. While the genocide of 6 million Jews and 5 million others during the Holocaust is remembered as one of the worst atrocities in human history, the Israeli government still chooses to recognize the bravery of individuals who risked their lives to save potential victims of the genocide. Yad Vashem, Israel's official Holocaust memorial, recognizes the righteous among the nations, non-Jews who saved Jewish lives in the Holocaust. Over 27,000 people have been given the title of Righteous Among the Nations. Over 7,000 are from Poland, including Warsaw Zoo directors Jan and Antonia Zabinski, who hid hundreds of Polish Jews in the zoo. Another 5,000 are from the Netherlands, most famously Miep and Jan Gies, who hid Anne Frank's family in Amsterdam. Other notable European righteous include German army officer Wilm Hosenfeld, who protected Polish-Jewish pianist Vladislav Spielmann, Italian cyclist Gino Bartali, who used his bicycle to transport dozens of Jews to safety in the Alps, Scottish missionary Jane Haining, who was killed at Auschwitz for helping hundreds of Jewish children escape to the UK, and Irish Catholic priest Hugh O'Flaherty, who smuggled Allied soldiers and Jews into the Vatican while also evading assassination attempts by the SS. There were also several righteous from outside Europe. U.S. Army Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds refused to identify the Jewish members of his unit to a German commander after being captured and threatened to kill the commander if any of his men were harmed. American journalist Varian Fry, who was from Ridgewood, New Jersey, smuggled French Jews out of Nazi-occupied Vichy, France. Tunisian Muslim art student Khaled Abdul Wahab hid a Jewish acquaintance and his family in his basement after the Nazis took control of French Tunisia. Japanese diplomat Chiyune Sugihara helped thousands of European Jews flee to the Caribbean on Japanese passports. 
but perhaps the most famous righteous among the nations was Oskar Schindler, a German businessman who employed over a thousand Jewish workers in his factory to save them from being deported to death camps. One particular righteous German attempted to save 937 German Jews in a very ambitious way. However, there were significant obstacles that severely endangered his plans. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 30th episode of this podcast, and I can't thank you enough for sticking around this long. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Zach. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Following the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party in German politics in 1933, the situation for Jews in Germany became gradually worse. While the final solution, in which Jews were sent to death camps, did not begin until 1941, many still lived in ghettos or were forced to work in concentration camps. Following Kristallnacht in 1938, in which over 90 Jews were murdered and over 30,000 were arrested en masse and sent to concentration camps, it became evident that Jews were not safe in Germany. Many who were able to flee did so, moving primarily to bordering nations such as France, Belgium, Denmark, and the Netherlands. However, many Jews in these nations were recaptured after Germany invaded them at the start of World War II. A lucky few were able to escape to the UK or the British Commonwealth, but most Commonwealth nations maintained strict immigration quotas. The United States, meanwhile, had a pretty generous quota for Germany prior to the rise of the Nazis, but curtailed the quota after Hitler came to power out of fear of a mass exodus of refugees into the US. One man, 54-year-old German sea captain Gustav Schroeder, created a plan to evacuate Jews from Germany. Schroeder was the captain of the Motorschiff St. Louis, and he offered to transport Jewish refugees to Cuba on a first-come, first-served basis as long as they could afford to buy visas to live in Cuba. On May 13, 1939, 937 people showed up to the harbor in Hamburg, possessing the necessary documents for immigration to Cuba. Later that day, the MS St. Louis set off for Havana, Cuba. The voyage from Hamburg to Havana took two weeks. Captain Schroeder was adamant that his passengers were to be treated with dignity. Although all German flagships were required to display a bust of Hitler, Schroeder covered his ship's bust with a tablecloth. He also organized swimming lessons, dances, concerts, religious services, gourmet meals, and childcare. Many passengers saw it as a vacation, one that would lead them to freedom and prosperity. 
However, one man died on the voyage from an ailment he had contracted before the St. Louis set sail. At 4 a.m. on May 27, 1939, the St. Louis dropped anchor in Havana, Cuba. When Schroeder attempted to deboard the passengers, they were stopped at gunpoint. It turned out that during the voyage, Cuban President Frederico Laredo Bru changed the nation's visa policy, only permitting visas to be issued to American and Spanish nationals, thereby retroactively canceling almost all of the passengers' visas. 28 passengers, all of whom were either Spanish, American, or Cuban nationals, were allowed to disembark. Another passenger who attempted suicide was evacuated for emergency hospitalization. As for the remaining 907 passengers, they sat in Havana Harbor for another five days before setting sail for Miami, Florida. Not deterred by the Cuban visa policy changes, Schroedo was going to try to convince the U.S. to take the refugees in. When President Roosevelt received a transmission from Schroeder requesting him to grant asylum to the passengers of the St. Louis, he was skeptical at first. The U.S. was still financially struggling from the aftermath of the Great Depression, and Roosevelt didn't want to set a precedent of adding refugees to the American workforce. Secretary of State Cordell Hull, a notorious anti-Semite, advised Roosevelt to refuse entry to the refugees. When New York Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia criticized Hull for this, Hull called LaGuardia, quote, a Jewish ruffian. Meanwhile, Secretary of the Treasury Henry Morgenthau Jr., who was also Jewish, advised Roosevelt to allow the refugees to enter. It is also widely believed that First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt urged him to accept the refugees. As the St. Louis sailed off the coast of Miami and the passengers of the ship anxiously awaited a decision, Schroeder considered crashing the ship into the Florida coast. However, U.S. Coast Guard ships were dispatched to prevent him from doing this. In spite of the pleas of Morgenthau, LaGuardia, and his own wife, as well as several Jewish-American organizations, Roosevelt sided with Hull and decided not to accept the refugees. Still insistent on bringing his passengers to safety, Schroeder sailed up the east coast to Halifax, Nova Scotia. There, he attempted to convince Canadian Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King to grant asylum to the Jewish refugees. However, on instruction of his anti-Semitic immigration director, Frederick Blair, he turned the St. Louis away. The situation was becoming dire as the Cuban, American, and Canadian governments had all rejected the refugees. In addition, food and sanitary supplies were running low on the ship. The German government requested that the ship be returned, and in response, a furious Schroeder said that he would not bring the ship back to Germany until every passenger was given asylum in a safe nation. When the German Navy threatened to send U-boats to sink the ship, Schroeder sailed back to Europe and took a last stand off the Belgian coast. As the St. Louis and the German Navy each prepared for violence, European leaders began negotiating with Schroeder. An 11th-hour intervention from British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain prevented any bloodshed. 
Chamberlain agreed to accept 288 passengers into the UK. Following suit, France took in 224, Belgium took in 214, and the Netherlands took in 181. While it may have seemed like a happy ending for the passengers of the MS St. Louis, the tragedy they experienced did not end there. In 1940, Nazi Germany invaded and occupied France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Jews in these nations, including passengers of the St. Louis who received asylum there, were deported to ghettos, concentration camps, and death camps. It is estimated that of the 937 original passengers of the St. Louis, 227 were murdered during the Holocaust. As for Captain Schroeder, he was looked down upon by many Germans for assisting Jewish refugees. In 1940, he was assigned a desk job and never went to sea again. Following the end of World War II, he was captured by Allied forces, but was released after his former passengers testified that he had worked to save them. After the war, he received small amounts of praise from the few people who knew his story. He became a writer and attempted to sell his story, but he was mostly unsuccessful. On January 10, 1959, Schroeder died in Hamburg at the age of 73. In 1993, the Israeli government posthumously honored and designated him as a righteous among the nations, finally giving him the recognition he deserved. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoy making this show, and I'm glad you enjoy listening to it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.